Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP12. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP12. This week on TWIP, Derek Story and Lindsay Adler join me for an in-depth discussion on the evolving art of portraiture. Plus, an interview with New York City-based boudoir photographer Krista Miola. It's Wednesday, December 4th, 2013, and this is Twitter. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me this week to discuss some of the topics, photography-related topics this week and much more, are a new voice and a familiar voice. First, Miss Lindsay Adler joins us and also Mr. Derek Story. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi there. All right. Uh, Derek, you're a, you're a TWIP veteran, so I'm going to start with Lindsay. Lindsay. You were going to inter- start with Lindsay anyway. <laughs> I would have been. You got me. You got me. No matter what, I would have found an excuse to start with Lindsay. <laughs> so, Lindsay, I interviewed you before for this week in photo, so welcome back as a host. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I can tell this is going to be fun. You guys are quirky. <laughs> That that is a good way to describe us. We are very very quirky, but we're passionately quirky. Maybe that's it. Absolutely. So let's let's uh, let's just start with you. So what what's been going on in the world of Lindsay Adler over the past several months? Oh man. Well, I don't even know where to begin. Um. So my fourth book came out um, November first. Oh. Nice. So that's Congratulations. A new one. Thank you. And uh, I've been shooting a bit. I got to travel this a little bit. I have been prepping for some educational things that I'll be sharing with everybody in the new year. And I tried to reward myself by making December a slower month because I think it's, re- I personally think it's really important to reflect on your year and think about the new year because otherwise they, they blend together and you forget to set goals. And mm-hmm. for me, that's like, I mean, that's essential to my success is like really thinking about what I want because I get pulled everywhere at once. And I mean, I could be the busiest person I know and go nowhere <laughs> because I could just do everything. So you're like yeah, you're like so running. You're moonwalking. You could be moonwalking in quicksand, right? You're just exactly <laughs> staying in one yeah. spot. You're tired, but you're not getting anywhere. Right. right. So yeah, yeah. So that's. I mean, that's what's important to me right now is figuring out what I want out of 2014. Excellent. Well, welcome. Well, hopefully we'll we'll have your your wonderful voice on this week in photo many more times in 2014. Sounds great. All right. Also on the show, Mr. Derek Story, also known as the nimble photographer and the digital story and all that stuff. What's going on, Derek? Oh, a lot, a lot. 
end of year, like Lindsay's saying, you know, thinking about 2014 already. Recovering from last night. Uh, I know. So. What happened last night? We were out. We were out uh, at the Warriors game. Doing... The Warriors game. It, you know, did you did you realize that uh, they came back from the largest deficit of the year in the NBA? 27 points. So was that of the year? Wow. That was of the year. Yes. Yeah. So look at that. You know, I yeah. did feel a little out of place there because I felt like I was the only one in that crowd of thousands with wearing Google Glass. You were the only one with Google Glass that I saw. <laughs> I didn't feel cool there, you know. I know Google Glass are awesome, but I just felt like I felt out of place. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but it was a good test. I mean, that was a raucous environment. So, I mean, we, we got to test a lot of gear there. So I, oh, yeah. I thought that worked out really well. And uh, I'm working on the workshop season for 2014, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to introduce a new one, uh, San Francisco Street Scene. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm really jazzed about that. And um, I gotta mention this camera that I'm testing, uh, the Sigma DP2. Is uh, has Sigma the Foveon X3 sensor been on your radar at all? Not yet. Tell it. me a little bit about that. Yeah. You have it? Yes, I do. Wait, you Lizzie, the... you have this camera? Yes, I do. <laughs> have you, have <laughs> you done the the monochrome processing with it? Have you yes, played with I that? Have. With the... mm -hmm. ah. Okay, so you can understand why I'm so excited. Then it's uh, I really I'm, I'm blown away by uh, what what okay, this give, give little the, camera can do. Give me do. the 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 feature benefit paragraph of what this is because I, I feel like I've been in a cave. You both have, are familiar with it, and I have no idea what this is. Well, you know, you look at this camera. And I have the DP2, and it, you know it's, it's compact with a, basically an APS-C sensor, and it, but it's the Foveon, so it has the layers. Yep. And it's like the most plain, dull camera that you've ever seen. I mean, you're just looking at it, you go, really? And uh, But once I learned a little bit about it, they've matched the lens and the sensor and the software in this this crazy marriage of, of uh, image processing. And it's slow and it's kind of methodical. And you end up with, um, with uh, processing uh, and images that I think are just, they amaze me. And, you know, you just zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, and the amount of detail and the tonal uh, rendition of it. It's crazy. So I, yeah, and um, I just started doing some black and white prints from, uh, you know, Lindsay, I, when I output it, I, I double them up and output them and doing some big black and white prints from it. And it's, uh, I'm having a blast. And so, so who, who's this camera for? I mean, is it, I mean, is it is it for the the commercial portrait shooter? Is it landscape? Uh, that's so that hard. Really good question. That's I, a really good question. To answer it, Lindsay. <laughs> it's what I do. Come on. No, I, I think I think that's I think that's the question that everybody probably struggle with struggles with because it is massive file sizes. Yes. I mean, I've I've seen this printed. I mean this sincerely. I've seen this printed to a four foot by six foot print where I see. I mean, it's. In insane detail. You're standing there, and I thought it was shot with like a medium format digital back, exactly. and it's it's literally a point and shoot. So who it appeals to? I mean, I almost think it just appeals to to gear nerds like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking because I'm about to I'm gonna go buy it after this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's um it's not it definitely is not fast. It is not something that you would be shooting a lot of frames with. It's not something that gives you a lot of versatility in anything besides the basic essential camera settings, but the file quality is what's crazy. So I, I would put it that way. If, if you really want this detail, you want this tonal range, you want huge 
print and you want it to come from a tiny little point and shoot, then that fits you. Other than that, it doesn't really fit a specific type of person. But what I've seen the best quality images from is actually probably different than him. Um, I saw some studio quality, quality images. It has a hot shoe, so you can hook up, um, you know, your pocket wizard or whatever you have. Yeah. And um, that's what I saw some incredible detail. It's pretty cool. Mm. So this, so this camera, and, and I'll, I'll move on from this in a second. So this camera is not designed to replace your mirrorless or your DSLR pro-ish no, camera. It doesn't really. No, because it doesn't really have that that functionality exactly. It does not have interchangeable lenses. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to be able to shoot high frames per second. It's not something that you would be. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely portable. So I think it's almost like a an in between of the two. Um, it's interesting. I know that this particular camera and technology from insider sources is going somewhere in a different direction. So I actually have no idea what it is. So I wonder if they'll take it even further maybe towards those kind of mirrorless camera idea yeah. um, so that it appeals to that audience more because that makes sense to me. Kind of more yeah. the mirrorless camera idea for the studio, the high quality, but I, I'll be surprised as you guys. But Lindsay, well, you could you could say that about most cameras that, yeah, they're gonna go in a different direction. They're gonna evolve. <laughs> so I wonder, yeah. I wonder where this thing is going. And Derek, so you you're testing it right now. Is this? I am. The, the litmus test is, is: Are you gonna buy this camera? Is it a camera that you need to have in your arsenal? Well, it depends on how quickly Sigma asks for it back, uh, you know. Uh, but I, I'm not ready to give it up yet. But, I, you know, I did get some training on it. You know, Jack Howard took some time out and, you know, kind of helped me understand how to how to use it. And, you know, to answer your question that you asked, Lindsay, I think it replaces my Hasselblad 500C with uh, with the 80 millimeter lens. I mean, that's kind of the 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 rig, except in in this in the smaller package. Seriously. Okay. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So well, I, I feel the, a the, review coming up on that. But we, the more to come. I, I've got a lot more work to do on it. But I'm, I'm as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about because it, it just surprised the heck out of me. I can definitely. I'm actually I'm shooting something with it in about a week, so I'll send you the files. Maybe it'll be useful. For yes. You. Yes. Please. I want, send please me one too. I want to. I want to pixel peep at that too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You have pixel to download the, the Sigma software. Yeah. You know? I can do yeah. that. Yeah. Alright guys, before we move on, uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. A heads up that the latest episode of All About the Gear is live on ThisWeekInPhoto.com. Doug K dove into the Fujifilm XE1 and kind of pulled back the covers on that. And it's, uh, I guess, the, the to spoil it, the Reader's Digest version is wait for the XE2. But check out, check out, the, check out the review. <laughs> you definitely spoiled it. <laughs> I spoiled it. There's another number after one, apparently. <laughs> so, so definitely check that out. It was a really good conversation. Also, yesterday, um, I did a hangout with Trey Radcliffe and crew on Trey's new project. It's called The Arcanum. It's a school for creatives based on that whole master apprentice model. And uh, Trey and... And Peter Giordano and uh, Bill Jones and I sat down in a hangout to talk through what the thing is, what it's for, what problems they're solving and all that. So check definitely check that out. It should be, uh, it'll be live. I'm going to do some editing on it and post it hopefully live tomorrow-ish. But definitely, uh, definitely give that a look when it comes out. It'll be live on thisweekinphoto.com. And also, um, I want to give a quick thank you to our sponsor. And this week's show is sponsored by our friends over at Shutterstock.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. If you're looking for images for your website, blog, print ad, trade show swag, or even apps, Shutterstock is the way to go. Over 10,000 new images are added each and every day. Shutterstock gives you a global image collection. You can find images from across the world to suit your project. You can choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages so you can choose whatever fits your needs and you never have to make a compromise. Plus, if you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can just buy that too. You can download any image and any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, you can take them. You can easily curate and share images and pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos, add them to your own light box gallery as you search, and you can also use your iPad to do this. So the list goes on and on of the things that Shutterstock lets you do. You can sign up for free. Just go over to Shutterstock.com, grab a free account. You don't need a credit card. Then when you find the images that you like and you decide to purchase, be sure to use the offer code TWIP. 12 to get 30% off any package. Once again, that's Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP12. And we thank Shutterstock for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, folks, let's jump into the show. The first story, and actually the main bulk of this episode, is about portraiture. And I know both of you guys know a little bit about that particular art form. So first of all, I want to set the stage. Lindsay, I want to throw it to you first. Looking at your work, it's just in, in from our earlier conversation on just your work and how you do things, you've got it down to a science, but a science around the art of photography and generating the ideas and bringing the assistance in to help you build everything and realize your vision. Where would you say portraiture like in your in your evolution as a photographer back from when you started as a kid till now where how would you say things have changed the most in your opinion um, for me personally when I started doing portrait photography I was taking pictures of what people looked like I mean that's really where it started and what I found out is for me I was I had a portrait studio in upstate New York and I was photographing people for engagement sessions and and weddings and, and newborn sessions and families and all of that and so while it started with photographing what people looked like I found that people loved the images that much more when the image was about who they are mm -hmm. so if I could incorporate something important to them whether it's a family member or a prop or some kind of storytelling element they I mean, those are the ones that brought people to tears, not just the ones of here's what, you know, I mean, sometimes people would get emotional of this is what my child looks like, but something that just expressed who they were touched their hearts even more. And, um, you know, it's, I've since changed a bit in my work. So right now I'm a fashion photographer in New York, but I, you know, a lot of my paid work is definitely, uh, it's portraits with a fashion twist to it. So my clients get to to be the model you know they get to be that you know the model in the magazine but it doesn't they don't have to look like a model they don't have to be the size of a traditional model um, so my work now sometimes the portrait work is even less about the person and more the role they get to play in a fantastical scene so yeah. um, it depends on what the client wants but it's a little bit of everything yeah see that that's what I wanted to get to that's that's perfectly put because I, I look at portraiture as kind of, I don't know, and this is my opinion, I want to bat it between you guys, as almost an outdated word. Because I hear, like, from modern photographers that are cutting edge like you guys that are doing this really 
you know, innovative artistic work. And I see your work, and it's it's fashion. It's high end. It's edgy. It's like you know, it makes people look twice at it. It's that kind of work. When I think portraiture, I think you know, sit in the sit in the chair, three quarter pose. You know, three point lighting. You know, that Rembrandt, that kind of thing. You guys don't have any rules in the stuff you do, Derek. What do you, what do you think about that? Is it is the word portraiture just outdated, or is it has it just evolved into something else? Well, I mean, we might be bringing that baggage with us, right? Because yeah. you know, you know, we we came up through that, and and you know, maybe someone coming into it today wouldn't look at it at all that way. Yeah. But uh, you know, I I agree with you. I think it's good to know that. Still, I do. I really think it's good to know the lighting schemes, a little bit about posing, mm-hmm. uh, just like any other craft. It's it's sort of good to know the basics. Once you, you do, you got to know the rules. You got to know the rules so that you can break the rules, right? Well, yeah, you know, but you know, once you know that, uh, then I think that's when the fun begins. Because I mean, I, I had to do staff work for years where it was exactly what you were describing, and it was horrible. I felt like I was in a factory. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I did. It was like a factory job, you know, and uh, you know, I couldn't wait to to, to break away from that. And, uh, you know, now I, I don't follow most of those rules at all, and I, I'm shooting with, uh, with cameras that have, you know, high ISO capability, and I'm, I'm letting things go really dark on the shadow side, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's just it's a lot more fun. But I think Lindsay said it, and, you know, one of my photographers, favorite photographers is Avedon, who also I thought, you know, what he – tried to do and what Lindsay's talking about where you just sort of bring out something about the person into the shot and and then that is an expression of them and you don't really need all the three-point lighting and the stool and everything to do that in fact all of that probably totally works against that yeah and then like Derek on your side I know you're you're moving more in the mirrorless direction and Lindsay you're kind of in the opposite direction and there's no right answer for this stuff how has how has like gear choices changed for you guys specifically Derek like you mentioned with the high ISOs there right so your lighting has changed no longer do you need the giant power pack and sun pack you know you don't need to recreate the surface of the sun in order to get a good shot these days Lizzie you you want to take that how does how has the advances in efficiencies of our gear changed your overall equipment makeup it's, you know, I, I've been shooting for a while, though I'm mm-hmm. young, um, and I, I like that I learned all the rules because at this point, since I know that I can do any of the traditional photography, I've done it, I have the capabilities, mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to validate or justify myself when I do something creative, when I do something that breaks the rules, when I shoot an extremely high ISO. Um, so some of my portrait work, for example, might be shot more like the, there's a fashion photographer, Sarah Moon which her pictures looked like, um, I mean, they looked like almost old paintings. A lot of them were blurry. A lot of them were grainy. And, and I don't feel the need to say, oh, look at this photo. Okay, we, it was really on purpose. No, you can tell that right. it was on purpose. <laughs> right. you know, that's, that's, if, so my opinion in fashion photography is if it looks like you did it on purpose, you're golden. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's really the most important part. So for me, um, the gear is is really secondary to the idea. I figure out what my concept is, and then I pick the right piece of gear. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that I'm not sometimes gear geeks like you guys and, and pick the best pieces. Hey, that's Derek. I, Derek is the gear geek. I'm just, uh, you know. <laughs> no, but like there definitely is the right tool for the job, um, and so it's it's more or less knowing those tools. Um, 
and I've I, I'm as guilty as the rest for having a lot of the tools available to me. But yeah, yeah. I've definitely I've actually shot um I've shot a couple beautiful sessions at 3200 ISO. Yeah. I, now, Lindsay, yeah. when you when you go through that, so just to, you you touched on it a little bit your your process of like sort of the reverse of some people accumulate a room full of gear and then try to hypothesize what kind of shot they could do with all this gear that they have. Pay no attention to the gear on the shelf behind me, brother. But some, <laughs> some, people, some people accumulate all this gear and then they figure out what shot they can do. And from our interview, you're the reverse, right? So you, you do it the right way, in my opinion, where you like, okay, what's something cool? I have an idea. I want to do this shot. You sketch it out. And then you figure out what pieces you need to accomplish that mission. Is that fair? Is that what you do? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the exact same type of knowledge. I still know about all the gear. I just don't let it dominate what I do. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't mean this to be critical, but a lot of times when I see people's work, I can tell those photographers whose gear dominates and whose the lighting setups that they've learned dominate because they learned something that was really complicated or something they were told was the best. And so they forced the portrait into that. And I'll see three-point traditional lighting setup when that subject did not warrant that type of lighting. It doesn't even make sense. So, so what they started with, okay, I know this lighting. Well, that works for this subject. So yeah, I, I definitely do it the other way around, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, both of you take this. How, how, do, you, how do you determine a style in this stuff? Both of you have distinctive styles. How do you determine what your style is over time? Because you know, I, I know that the easy answer is keep shooting and the style will emerge over time. Or you're influenced by people who you know you whose work you admire, but what's what's another way to just sort of get your brain around? Okay, I I lean towards sort of desaturated, blurry shots, and that's my look. <laughs> Derek, you want to take that? How do you, how do you get into that? How do you figure that out? You know, it's, it's a it's an odd question in in the sense that <clears throat> yeah, a lot of times I'll start out a portrait session and I'll start out with what I think is going to work. And, uh, you know, I think the style emerges when I see something that I like. And mm -hmm. a lot of times the first one or two things I try don't work. It's, it's really, it's kind of uh, inside, it's, it's unnerving on the outside. I, you know, I thought, oh, no, just kind of working a few things here, you know, just yeah. relax. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but uh, it's funny to me how often I guess wrong at the start of the portrait session, you know, in terms of how to light or how to do something. The minute I see the image of the person that feels right, that resonates, then that's the direction that I go. So I'm not really thinking style. I'm thinking what feels right. And so you, uh, yeah, you're, you're like you're keying in to what the person looks like and their personality and then following that vein. Sort of following it. And, you, you know, it's still funny after all these years how often on my first guess I'll, I'll guess wrong on, on, mm -hmm. how to, on how to pull that out. But uh, and then it's funny to your point. Then when I do find it and, and then if I look at, let's say, 10 different uh, sessions, and uh, there will be a theme that runs through it. So um, I think the style sort of comes out of maybe keep probing, uh, you know. Yeah. But you've got to use some sort of inner voice or something that feels right. I think Lindsay made a good point. Just don't try to force your stuff on 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 the subject. It, you're not gonna you're not gonna develop a style that way for sure unless your style is mechanical. Yeah. Right. Now, Lindsay, what about you? Because I know a lot of a lot of beginning photographers and amateurs and advanced amateurs, they look at you guys, they look at magazines, they look they look in all these places and they say, yeah, I like that. I'm going to take that and I'm going to go redo it with my kid or my girlfriend or whatever. 
and that's the way they learn from emulating and then branching off from there. Is that the right way to go, or should they be sketching out in a blank on a blank page and and coming up with their own ideas? What's a, what's a good way to guide folks? Yeah, um, I you know what? That's actually the way I do most of the things, most of the concept development I have. So there's a there's a famous saying that says, if you copy from one author, it's plagiarism. If you copy from many, it's research. And you know that's that's kind of how I feel about down. it, <laughs> right? It's great. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel about it. So when I'm looking for inspiration for a shoot, you know, the the first thing that I'm looking for is is what am I trying to say? What am I trying to emphasize in the shoot? Is it about what the person looks like? About an emotion? About a feeling? And I go and do research, and I have a long list of favorite photographers that I regularly look at, and I have my Pinterest boards. And, and that's exactly what it is, is I just don't pick one image to emulate, I pick many, um, many different things. I pick the lighting from one photographer, I pick the hair and makeup from another, and so I create something that we call in fashion photography a mood board. Mm-hmm. And a, a mood board is going to be a collection of images that express the overall feeling of a shoot. So it will be the hair, the makeup, the location, the lighting, the feeling, and so I, I piece it together there, and you know, as far as what he was talking about, about not getting it right at first. Um, that's absolutely true. You have to be adaptable. I think a lot of people get really worked up when they think that they've done so much preparation. They think they have that solution, <laughs> and then it's not working, and you stick yeah. to it. And um, so what I do is I do figure out what I want to say because if it's if it's dark and dramatic, I know I need you know maybe a more contrasty modifier, or the light needs to go to the side more to create more shadow. But beyond that, you know, when I'm looking at the image, I'm just saying, hey, is it reaching that final goal? Um, and I yeah. definitely draw inspiration from a lot of other photographers. Just careful not to copy. I love that. I love that. See that, and that's that's the key the key piece there. And that's the line that a lot of people get mixed up on. Is like, okay, be careful not to copy, but be inspired by. You know, this work was inspired by Lindsay Adler, but it's not a direct copy of her particular shot, right? And and I think it's fine if there are a lot of similarities. It's it's when it gets to the point where you're trying to get the pose to match exactly, the lighting to match exactly, the makeup to match exactly. Um, and I think if you just want to be safe, you know, pick an element of the photo that you like. Pick mm-hmm. an element from each different photo and integrate those together. And then you don't even have mm-hmm. to worry about it, um, you know, if that is something you're concerned about. But I'll put it this way. Um, if you aren't feeling like you're copying, you're probably okay. If you're getting a little nervous, then just add something of yourself into it. And not about style, just for me personally, uh, a tip that I would give people trying to find style is I only found mine, you know, maybe in the last three years, four years, my, my true style, um, because I love to shoot everything. I love to shoot everything. I love to try different things. I don't want to, you know, hold myself to one particular style. Um, but what I did is I began analyzing my favorite photos that I've taken, my favorite photos that other photographers have taken, and I was really seeking out what they have in common. Like, I actually just analyzed. The photo that if some I would die if someone made me take out of my portfolio, mm-hmm. what's what's in common about those? And what I found is they were all clean, bold, and graphic. You know, they had a bright color or a really graphic pose, something that just grabbed your eye. I don't have, you know, a lot of complex environments. If I do, it's because they're they're graphic. And so I looked at my favorite images and I could see that. And so when I would plan a shoot, I would just say, I might try a few things and say, all right, where's my clean, bold, and graphic image? Let me make that for this shoot. And so, um, and I gave myself a lot of assignments too. So that would be my suggestion. Analyze your work that you love of your own 
the stuff you love of other people, and where where do they cross? Yeah, and it sounds like less is less is more, and it it, it rings true here. Derek, do you do the do you do the the thing that Lindsay was talking about with a vision or inspiration board before your shoots, you know, where you bring bring things together and sort of be inspired? I actually think about it while I'm doing laundry is uh, what I do. <laughs> you're inspired when you're doing your socks. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, I mean, it's, it is. I mean, it, it's so weird when you work for yourself because, uh, you, you know, one of the things you have to fight is like I, I have to be productive every moment. But mm-hmm. a lot of times on this sort of stuff, you just you, you have to bounce around. And so you're doing a lot of odd things while you're percolating, or at least I do, yeah. while I'm percolating on it. And so I'm, I'm doing laundry and I'm, you know, uh, doing something really boring and all that kind of stuff, thinking about the shot so that when I'm ready to go, uh, then I, I, I have a place to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't sketch it up, but I definitely think about it for a while first. And uh, I think that's very important. I think it's very – you have to have a starting place. And, you know, when you work with a, a, a model or someone who's uh, used to being in front of the camera – they're expecting you to have your shit, your stuff together. Uh, you know when you start to shoot. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, you know. They, at least the ones I work with, they don't want a photographer who goes, "Well, so hey, what do you want to do today?" You know, no, mm-hmm. they, there's, there's, there's not. confidence. Right. Yeah, it what does not. What do you think I should use? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your best side? No, you know. Uh, so I mean, they. My feeling is that the subject wants you to take charge. It wants you to inspire confidence, and you know, it wants you to make them feel confident, no matter what your, no matter what type of portrait. That they want to feel confident in front of the camera. We'll, we'll continue and, that uh, thought, Derek, because I want I wanted to segue that into rapport building and the actual session itself. You know, so when yeah. you 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 got everything, Lindsay, you got your your vision board. You know where you're going with this. You're inspired. You got your gear out there. You're ready to go, and then the client shows up on set. Or wherever you're going to be shooting this person, how do you how do you put them at ease? How do you put them in a place where you know hey, I'm not worried, and I I think I I feel that you're a competent photographer, and you're going to do a good job on me, and I don't have to worry about you making me look bad. Lindsay, you want to you want to take that? Sure. So I can give you an example of a type of shoot that I do a lot. Um, okay. I'm asked to prof- to photograph a lot of professional athletes, and a lot of time they're women. So what I'm actually given is I'm given tasks that what I need to express visually for these people. So for these women, I need to express um, one image about their athleticism, another one about their femininity, another one about their professionalism. So we'll have the different goals that I have to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that I will do, of course, is if it's somebody that's more of a celebrity, I will, of course, do my research. Um, and I'll just have an idea a little bit about them, their past. And um, there's always some common threads um, of things that you that you relate to and typically for me because on my shoots people are getting their hair and makeup done um, I'll just sit down real casually and have a chat with them and it'll be about places they've been and if I can find an overlap with there we'll talk about that like anything to show that I'm a person you're a person we have similarities Um, and if I can find somebody's passion then I'm in if and so that's what I do I say so you know, what do you, what do you love to do for fun? What are your passions? Because if you even just listen to the person and just feel that passion pouring out of them, when I'm on set, when I'm actually photographing them, I use knowledge of their passions 
is to pull emotions. And there's actually a famous, you know, Avedon story. He was photographing um, these, this, the Duke. I think it was a Duke and Duchess of York or something like that. And um, they were, I believe, they were kind of fascist. They were bad people. And he found out that they loved dogs. Loved dogs and he got asked to shoot them and he didn't want to because he you know he thought that they were bad people and he wasn't interested so he's has a portrait session you know all set up and he has his camera ready and he he says something to the effect he puts his hand on his head and he looks really upset and you know they they say well what's wrong he's like actually on on the way to to the shoot today I saw somebody run over a dog and they make these horrible expressions and he takes a ton of pictures and he sends these awful looking photos to everyone um, because he was trying to express basically the inner ugliness that he oh, saw in these people. Yeah. Um, and so this is one of his most famous portraits. Um, mm -hmm. Now, let's put it this way. You don't, you don't want to make your clients look ugly, and you don't want to show this inner ugliness, but I actually use it the opposite way. I find out what they love because I can, I can talk about something they love or ask them to tell me a story, and you see it glow in their eyes, and that's how I'm able to get a lot of that expression. I get them thinking about those things. So... Um, so I will definitely do that to build rapport. Um, and then whenever I have an image that I love of the person, I just show my, you know, elation at this beautiful image. And I show them, I'm like, oh my God, you look amazing. Look how great you look. And I'm showing the back of the camera. Um, I am not at all hesitant to do that because my excitement transfers over to them. And I'm not afraid of them not liking something. If they want to tweak something, that's fine. But usually if they see you're excited, they just agree with you. And then the whole shoot has a positive atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's good. See, I mean, it, so you're bringing down walls before you actually get into the shoot proper, which is which is amazing. Dirk, do you do the, do you do the same thing? Yeah. I I mean, I think the the second point Lindsay made is is the important one for me, which is as quickly as possible show them a good shot, show them mm -hmm. a good shot in the back of the camera. That seems to build confidence so quickly, and it's also an argument I think because I have people ask me all the time, well, you know, why do you worry about color balance so much if it's a color shoot or all that sort of stuff because you know you can just fix it in post well of course you can thing is though when you're on set and you want to build confidence with the client if you show them something on the back of the camera that's spot on that shows them in a flattering light and the color's good and everything then they're going to have confidence in you and i think the the shoot just you know zooms forward from there if you're saying well you know i'm going to fix the color later on in post it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And what, so speaking of post, what about post? Uh, Derek, are you? Are you <laughs> I'm feeling Derek. You're doing your own post, and Lindsay, I'm feeling you're sending your post out. Is that? Am I on right there? Uh, it depends, actually. Oh, um, okay. If you if you would have asked me at the beginning of this year, January 1st of last year, um, I was still doing almost all of my posts um, mm -hmm. because I was being a control freak, right? Um, and Guilty. I believe, I feel, I, feel, I feel that I'm a very good retoucher and I know that I want what I want from that. But um, I actually spent this year kind of uh, building relationships with retouchers that understood what I want out of a portrait. So I'll put it this way. Um, for anything that is blemish removal and basic, you know, skin improvements, I now outsource because there's, more important things I should be spending my time doing, like marketing and client relationships. Yes. Um, but anytime it is a creative effect, I'm absolutely still doing it. Um, and it, cause it, and it, it, needs my, it needs my touch. It needs my vision. For me, my creativity doesn't stop when I click the camera and the client leaves. I mean, it definitely continues into post. So, you know, if it's anything creative, that's, that's still on me. 
Yeah, see that 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 is a really good topic that I want to talk about because that that I know a lot of photographers that do that. Like they'll do what you just said, Lindsay. They'll click, hand it off, and someone else handles their vision. Someone else knows what they look like, you know, what their look is, and they can recreate it. It's the extension of them. And then other photographers like you, Lindsay, and I gravitate more towards what you're doing. I like to, you know, I want to. It's my baby. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to send. I don't want to send it out. Derek, what, you you're doing your post yourself. Or are you sending it out on occasion? What do you do? Uh, I I have the luxury of being able to do it myself, and yeah. you know that, and that's because of the the quantity, you know, and yeah. so I, I'm able to do it. And uh, I, I kind of have to do it myself because part of my process, it depends on how important the portrait and the client is, of course. Sure. But part of my process is to make a print when I at the, the first point of where I think I have something and then let the print lay around for a day or so and live with it um, and then uh, go back to it and maybe finish it off. And, and so I, I, I kind of... I'm able to do that. I'm lucky because, you know, shooting is, you know, it's just one of my revenue streams. Yeah. And so I, I don't have to hand it off, but, um, you know, if I had to, I would, I'm, I'm glad I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to listen to the, the different methodologies that go on in different photographers' minds about the pixels that they create and who they allow to Touch those pigs. <laughs> I, I think it does have to do with uh, volume and then the type of business you're running. Because, uh, honestly, I, um, you know, there's a lot of things now that I'll send out and I'll have the basic skin retouching done. Not because I can't do it myself, but I have people that can do it. And then I'll do the creative stuff next because I have a lot of things that I should probably be doing with my time. So, um, right. I think I think that the photographer grows when they learn to let go of the things they should. Yep. And never let go of the things they shouldn't. That's so. the secret. The secret of the ultra rich. They say do more of what you're good at and yep. farm the stuff up that you're not so good at and the stuff that you hate off to other people and just like, repeat that cycle. Keep doing like more and more of the stuff you love doing. <laughs> what about what about delivery? You know, both of you guys. So, like, clearly two different kinds of photographers. Lindsay, when you're when you finish one of your pieces. I know it varies depending on who the client is, but where where generally does it go? You're not printing yourself. Does it go out to a lab to get printed, or is it just you know you're delivering tips to a to a magazine? What's the final output for you generally? So if it's for a magazine, um, all I'm doing is delivering tips. Although they're a client, they they don't honestly they don't even want anything physical because um, it's just clutter and they have such a high turnover that's not even something that they're interested in. Yeah. Um, but if it is for a client that's spending a lot of money, I, I definitely want um, a higher quality product, something that they can hold in their hands and understand what they spent all that money on. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes it will be a print. They didn't pay for it. It's just something that I, I give them. But actually, I have something here that's uh, a good example. Um, so I've got this. This is from Miller's. Okay, and this was a, a boudoir session that I did. Oh, look at that. And it's a wood wooden box, and then in it, um, I have a, a custom, you know, custom USB. Oh, and so nice. that'll be something I deliver because honestly, uh, people don't have CD, um, you know, places to use CDs anymore. I, my laptop, there's no place to put a CD, so USB yep. is definitely the way to go. So when a client, um, when I'm done with a shoot, they definitely get the files delivered to them digitally. But I try to include. Basically, this box with a print in it or a larger print with the USB, just so it, it feels nicer to them, something tangible. Yeah. 
Isn't that, that interesting? Be- yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way. Someone sent me a CD the other day, and I could not... I mean, in fact, I had to buy, because I wanted to see what was on the CD. I had to order a USB CD-ROM drive from Amazon <laughs> so that I could plug it into my Mac so I could read this outdated yeah. optical media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Derek, what about you? Output. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, you mentioned printing. Is that, uh, is that the only... It's not output? usually the deliverable. I, I'm usually doing kind of what Lindsay says, which is the, they're not expecting a print. I, I give them a print and, uh, because it just feels good. And then a uh, USB drive or uh, d- some jobs they just download right off, you know, uh, right off the site. You know, so yeah. I'll, I'll set up a, a, a private uh, thing for them and, and they can uh, go through them and download what they want. And you know, I just let them have at it. You know, yeah. everything on there is for them. Now, now speaking of like, what about self assignments for you guys, portraiture wise? One of the things that we had in the notes here was we were going to talk about selfie photography. For, <laughs> you know, so the the, Those are two different things. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Yeah, I know. That's what I was talking about. So the, the differences between the two. So you're like people. This word selfie, which I don't even agree with, and I know Sony actually has a mode on one of their cameras called the selfie mode. <laughs> no way! I didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually this camera right here. This is the NEX five R, and when you take oh, wow. the LCD and flip it up like this. It's yeah. in selfie mode. Oh it, my flips gosh. The, it flips the image, <laughs> and when you hit the button, it does a countdown timer here, so you can see when it's going to take the picture. Wow. So selfie is here to stay. So when you guys are like doing your self projects, do you, and I know a lot of photographers do this. You do you know multiplicity or whatever. Generally, pretty women. I've noticed. I don't see a whole lot of dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I just noticed this. So, are you guys doing that at all? Are you doing any like self-portraiture type things as far as your self-assignments? Lindsay, you go first. Um, so, for me personally, I don't do any self-portrait work. It's I, it's funny. I don't want to say it like this, but I've never inspired myself. It was just, you know, it doesn't mean like that. But um, yeah, one of my one of my very very best friends. Um, her name's Brooke Shaden, and she. You know, a majority, not all of it, but a majority of her fine artwork has been self-portraiture. But I, I definitely feel that that is far removed from what the term selfie brings to my mind. It's um, different, right? Yes. Me, a selfie is like... Yes, <laughs> I, I, think, I think selfie is, is more in my mind capturing what you look like and how you feel at a moment. For me, I think it's about the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, versus a self-portrait is much more about an expression or an emotion or something about you more profound as an individual. So I kind of separate those two. And, and my personal work, um, I, my personal work is still fashion or fine art or um, anything like that. And I have to do a self-plug. It's not a huge one, but my um, the book that just came out, which I have yeah, here. Yeah, let me see that. Okay, this one. Okay, it is Creative a, 52. Look at that. It is a self-assignment book. That's what it is. It's um, 52 weekly assignments, and it's separated into to concept, um, technique, and post-processing. So I give myself assignments all the time um, to grow. And so I was saying for um, developing my style, I look at other people's work you know, that I really admire, and I pick that element, and I give my, myself an assignment to incorporate that element into my work. So... Um, absolutely, it's just not not self-portrait work. I love that. So, cre- what is it called again? Creative Fifty Two. Creative Fifty Two. Yep, just came Hold out. Hold that up again. I want to see that again. Let's see the cover. Okay. 
That is, well, let me make sure it's on the screen there. Yeah, that is beautiful. Look at that. Thank you. And that's on where it's available in fine retailers everywhere right now? Yep. Um, you can get it in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, my website. So awesome. I'm just, I'm very proud of it. And uh, I think self-assignments, if, if you're a photographer and you get stuck shooting just the work that pays because you want to be a professional, professional means pay usually, um, what ends up happening is the work that pays you is not always the work that fulfills you. In fact, it can actually pull you the opposite direction of where you want to go because it's paying the bills and that's what it means to be professional, right? Well, yeah. um, I mean, one of the things I can recommend to a photographer to improve not just their, their business but their life in general is to shoot things that reward them because that's what moves your, your career, your portfolio, everything in your life in the right direction is shooting yeah. the things that make you love photography even more. Yeah, that's what feeds your sort of photographic energy is to shoot the things that inspire you. Yeah, and you're right. It, it pulls you in the opposite direction. And when you and that's the weird catch-22 because you're getting paid, but you're not shooting something that you want to shoot. So, you know, it, it fills up, your, fills up your, your bank account on the monetary side, but then it's a deficit on the creative side. So it's, yeah. a, it's always a balance. Derek, what about you? I know you're a big selfie dude. You're always taking <laughs> selfies, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I do a lot of uh, self-assignment because I write so much, and yeah. uh, I, you know, I don't want to publish other people's photos with my writing. So I'm my own stock agency. So I love it because uh, the bulk of the shooting I do is just for me, just my ideas, just things that I want to do, and uh, I'm lucky that way. But you know, one thing I want to mention about you know. Um, professional uh, in the you know professional can mean a lot of different things and you know one of the things about these days is that you don't have to be a photographer a hundred percent of the time and you know we all know that you know you can't be anyway you're, you're running a business and you have to do all these other things sure. but but you can combine photography with a lot of stuff that really can take you to some interesting places and for me it's been writing and photography together and the writing a lot of times will lead me to some really interesting you know shooting and so you know I, I think that you coming up with the ideas of what you're going to photograph is a far more interesting way to uh, make your living than, you know, I, I hate people looking over my shoulder while I'm shooting, actually. In fact, I, I really can't stand it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it, that's the way to go. It's, I mean, it's, it's a great way to go depending on your personality. So before we leave this topic, any, any Derek, from you, since you're already on it, any parting tips, tricks that you want to give folks on, you know, how to to sort of stay inspired on photography um, or portraiture and that sort of thing? Yeah, do uh, shoot what you love, do what you love. And uh, it's just so much easier because, you know, to be good at anything, whether it's writing or photography or, or you know, any, any craft, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard. And, you know, I think being passionate and loving it and being excited every day is really the only thing that, that you know, keeps you going forward so yeah. don't don't take on stuff you don't want to do i mean if, if you don't want to do product shots don't take on the assignment yeah. you know just because you get a paycheck it will erode away at you but yeah and it's a you know the paycheck thing it's a fine line right because yeah it's like you know i don't want to i don't want to compromise my photog photographic integrity by taking things that i don't want to do but then 
here's these screaming kids over there that need formula. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. You got to well, balance it, right? Well, you know, it, it, it's funny because I, I mean, I, I've never been what I call rich, and I, I doubt that I never will be. But you know what? I here I am at this point in my life, and I'm still working for myself, and I'm doing what I love, and I'm going to do it for as long as I want to do it. And I, I really can't put a, a price tag on that. So, yeah. you know, I, I just, I think the advice is always do what you love. If you're passionate about, if you love baseball, then, you know, then you should be shooting baseball, you know, and don't try to make yourself a wedding photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause That's there's right. a yeah. paycheck there. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you stay at it long enough. You will make money. Yeah, and it you know that's that that's the thing. That is really good advice because the lure, you know, as photographers, especially when you're new and you're coming into this, the lure is the shiny object, right? And it's like, hey, I just heard yeah. so and so photographer said that they're making X thousand dollars yeah. a year by shooting yeah. weddings. I should shoot weddings. <laughs> exactly, know? exactly. You know, you, know, you can fall into that trap. You can yeah. fall into that trap. You know. Yeah, and then you're a wedding photographer, and you're like, "How did I get here? I don't really like oh, weddings." Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I you know, I did I did weddings for a while because I I did need the money, but I didn't do only weddings, and I had a plan that I was and and I don't want to knock wedding photography sure, because it, it was very good to me when I did it, but um, but I had a plan that I you know that I was going to keep doing the other stuff, and as the other stuff became uh, more viable, then I would pair back and yeah. you know and, and that's the way I do all the revenue streams every, every time I'm always shooting for something that I really want to do and the minute I land it then I get rid of the stream that I like the least and if yeah. you keep doing that you just keep moving forward then you you find that each week you're doing more of what you love and less of what you don't yeah yeah love it hey looks like uh, something happened on Lindsay's side yeah. and she got booted out of the hangout hopefully she'll be able to rejoin us but we'll we'll press come on back. come and, back Lindsay and we'll keep our fingers crossed that <laughs> yes. Lindsay will be able to rejoin yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's move let's move right along oh, Jesus time is just flying see when I get started talking about portraiture and that kind of stuff the yeah. time just, just yeah. flies by um, before we uh, continue into the picks of the week let's uh, give a nod to our other sponsor this week in, this week of this weekend photo and that would be Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP12. And Squarespace has many templates that have beautiful full bleed image display, which are perfect for photographers and designers to showcase their work. Plus, they've got hundreds of customizable settings, including fonts, colors, sizes, and every Squarespace website can be made to look unique with just a few clicks. And Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features. They've got new designs and even better support. Plus, they've got beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create that unique website for your business. And it's incredibly easy to use. If you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you need commerce, they've integrated that too to work with every Squarespace template. It allows for both sales of physical and digital goods. For example, you can sell music CDs or MP3s, hardcover books, or even eBooks. And digital goods are delivered via a customized email link that will expire 24 hours 
from delivery. So if you're sold, you can start your trial right now with no credit card. All you need to do is head over to squarespace.com. Then when you get there, use the offer code TWIP12 to get 10% off and to show your support for This Week in Photo. And we'd like to personally thank Squarespace for their support of our show. Squarespace, it's everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, it is time for our listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer some of the questions that have been bubbling at the top of our listeners' minds. First question, or the only question that we're going to hit on this week, is from Gordon Burns, and this came to us from the TWIP community page on Google+. He says... I'm looking for online content proofing services for my portrait photography work. Do you have any suggestions for me? Derek, what do you think? Yeah, for online client proofing. Yeah. We need we need Lindsay for this. I know. This is this is this is Lin, this got Lindsay written all over it. I know. Uh, I don't have any suggestions cuz I don't I don't use uh, those services at all. Now, what do you use for like if if you do a job for like a model or something like that, and you want to show her the you know the the shots? Yeah, I I put a, a private gallery up on Smugmug. Okay. Uh, send send uh, her or him uh, the link. Uh, I make sure the file numbers are showing, and I only put up shots that I think are you know that they should be looking at. I don't put everything up, and uh, and that's the way they can review them. And so, That's a key piece right there that you glossed over a little bit. You don't put <laughs> everything up there no, that no, you no. got and let them choose. You put your favorites up there. The, you know, the, and I tell you, there's a real art to that part of it. And uh, because one of the, when we we're talking earlier about showing the subject some of the shots during the shoot, I'm also looking at what they're responding to because uh, part of this art of putting up. You know, a good uh, collection of images is not only stuff that you think is good, but also s- stuff that will resonate with them. And I see this in workshops, and I see this in my own work all the time. A lot of times, what the photographer really likes and what the subject really likes uh, aren't always exactly the same. Yeah. So, on one hand, you only want to put up quality work. On the other hand, you want to stretch a little bit, and especially if you have any feedback from the subject, so you get stuff up. That may resonate with them that that might not be your favorite stuff yeah. and uh, it always I think really listen when a, when a subject uh, gives you feedback about which shots that they like because I think it helps you kind of perfect that system of putting up a good collection yeah so it's again keeping in mental contact and keeping that sort of flow of information back and forth between you and the client or the subject and oh. it stretches from the portrait session or the photography session all the way through to when you're picking the selects because you can say oh I know this person will probably like this kind of shot because they were gravitating yes. towards it. Yes, yes, yes exactly. Good. And uh, we see that in the workshops a lot where we have the models stay and uh, during the select period, mm-hmm. and it, it's funny how often uh, the photographers in the workshop are surprised by the shots that the model likes versus the shots that they like. Yeah. I, it, it's fascinating, actually. Love it. Love it. All good advice. I'm taking notes. Taking notes. All right. Uh, let's move on. Hopefully, fingers still crossed. Derek, you mentioned yesterday when we were at the game that your luck this week has been like <laughs> for some reason the universe is after you and I think it's in it, this hangout right now. Keep it I, know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's that's that's so brutal. But it has been a weird week for technology and, and cyber stuff. I, I totally there agree. There are gremlins running amok. 
Yeah, hey, somebody put water on the gremlins or something. I yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Derek, uh, let's jump into the Picks of the Week segment. Okay. Uh, listeners, remember this is our guests can pick anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Derek, I'm going to let you go first. What is your Pick of the Week? Oh, hey. Lindsay's hey, we got Lindsay hey, back. Hey, hey. We, we had our fingers crossed waiting on you to get back in here. Awesome. <laughs> Hey, do you want to, uh, before I do that, do you want to run the, the question uh, by yeah, Lindsay? Lindsay she, we, were think, we were doing the listener Q&A. We're doing the listener Q&A segment, and uh, Derek thought you might be ideally suited to answer this. Let me reread it for you. It's from uh, okay. listener Gordon Burns. He says, I'm looking for online client proofing services for my portrait photography work. Do you have any suggestions for me? What do you think, Lindsay? Um, okay, so... In the in the fashion world, a majority of us are using Photo Shelter mm-hmm. um, because the Photo Shelter Photo Shelter is giving us the ability to control licensing, yep. and so that makes much more sense there. Um, ton of different services. I guess it depends on the capabilities that you really want to be able to offer your clients. For example, if you are looking for something to be seamless and beautiful, um, there's one called Oh my God, it just left my brain. Hold on. Get it back in your brain. Pixie Set. Yes. What's it Pixie called? Pixie Set. Good. Um, Pixie Set. P-I-X-I-E-S-E-T. Okay. And what Pixie Set does is it creates uh, kind of a personalized um, HTML5 website for your client to prove. So let's say that you shoot a lot of weddings. Um, what it does is you can categorize the images and they'll like self-populate and they can order and proof and favorite directly from there. And that has less to do with the capabilities and more to do with if that bride picked you because she loves the whimsical feel of your images, it's a beautiful way to show them um, versus if you want a little bit more flexibility. So um, I hate to be non-committal, but it really does depend on, you know, kind of what you're going for. Because personally, I think a lot of sites, you know, um, and it's not even to, to hate on Smug Mug or something like that, but it, it's... You know, they give you a lot more flexibility in the client proofing and, and uh, capabilities like that, but it's not as pretty as something as Pixie Set. Um, but I do think that they're trying to get there. Okay, so branding—it's—it's it's, if you're leaning more towards personal branding of your your personal brand and making that weave all the way through from when you meet them all the way through to here's the proofs. Then, yeah, yeah P- Pixie Set. No, you've used them before for some of your work. Yeah, just a, a couple things, and I just. I thought it was beautiful. I used them, however, um, for portrait sessions when they were selecting images, not prints. There is a print fulfillment. Um, mm-hmm. But if you are selling a lot of prints, um, perhaps pick, picking something like a Smug Mug or a Zen Folio that has um, print and product fulfillment integrated directly in it, maybe that's going to be better for you. So there's actually a ton of services out there. There's um, actually also many of them that allow you to do the client proofing and selections directly on your iPad. Yeah, yeah. Proof, and I mean, I, there's actually like a dozen of them, um, and so maybe that's going to be something that you prefer. So. Yeah, there's a yeah. You're right. I mean, there's there's no shortage of of choices out there, and it is a case by case basis because everyone's business is different, and everyone's client base is different. Lindsay, we were just jumping after that after the listener Q and A. We were jumping into the picks of the week. So this is a this is a segment of the show where you guys, the guests can recommend something to the TWIP listeners as long as it is as long as it's somehow related to photography. Lindsay, do you have something to recommend or should we let Derek go while you think something up? Can I can I do one and a half? You can do three if you want. 
This is your inaugural TWIP visit. Okay, you can do whatever okay. you want. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first one is, I don't want to say it's a brag session, but it's something that's really significant to me that I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. um, so today I did something that meant a lot to me as a photographer. I went and picked up my custom-made portfolio from House of Portfolios. I don't know if that means anybody, anything to anyone who's not a fashion photographer, but what this is, it's a place where you custom design every element of your print book. So you pick the fabric on the outside, on the inside, the way your name's embossed, the thickness, the size, everything about it. And in New York, this is how you get, you know, this is what you do for your portfolio books. And they're very, very expensive. And so for me to be able to go pick up my, you know, my custom books was significant to me. So I have to show you mine. There's no, pr there's no prints in it yet. Yeah, let's see it. Let's see. Not let's really. see your your choices in materials. Can you see it? Okay. Here's yeah, the book. I see black with black embossed Lindsay Adler on the front. Yeah. Okay, and then you open it up, and it has you know it's all there's my name again on a page, nice. and then there's thirty pages of it. But you know this is kind of my my substantial fashion book. So um, that would just be something that I guess I would say is if you really want to reward yourself and you I mean you literally customize every single element. You can change the fabric on the inside. You can give it lead pages. You can have um, areas in the back to put um, your, your leave behinds and, and things like that. Um, House of Portfolios is the standard in New York. So What, are, what um, are we looking at, you know, House of Cash wise to get one of those things? Um, so you're looking without pictures for for it to be about three fifty four hundred. Oh, okay. So it's not like horrendous. I mean, no. you can certainly go up from there. Like you can get ones that are you know five six hundred dollars. But um, yeah, I would say if you if you're using somebody like Miller's um, to fill that up and have the service, it would cost you about five hundred dollars. Okay. But this is what will be shopped around to all of my um, to all my commercial clients, and um, I made a really strong promise to myself to, to be more proactive about marketing in the new year. So yeah. I, uh, I got that to step up my game a bit. And then also I signed up for um, Agency Access. Agency Access is a, a company that basically provides you all the contact information for all of the decision makers at record labels and all the decision makers at ad agencies and magazines. And it's, you know, it's, it is a couple thousand a year. Um, and they also had a service to help you out with your marketing. Um, wow. And so what they do is they give you consultation on the different portfolios you should have, how you should separate them out between clients. They help you figure out um, who your true target audience would be, and then they help you with some of that marketing. So I, uh, that was my Black Friday gift to myself um, were, were those two things. That's awesome. Um, so that's more in the fashion career, but my gear pick would be I was actually really excited because Sigma – um, recently announced the Sigma 24 to 105 um, 4.0 lens. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, generally a, a Sigma shooter. I um, mean, all the lenses in my bag are Sigma lenses, and that was something that I felt was missing for a while. Uh, particularly when I I want an all-purpose lens for, for me. Um, you know, I if I'm going on vacation or if I wanted to do street shooting or something for myself, especially, um, I wanted a lens like that because. I'm probably different than you guys. I I love photography heart and soul, but a lot of times I don't like to take gear with me on my free time. I think that it's good for me to separate myself from my work and my inspiration 
and then my, I, I don't I won't wouldn't have any personal life whatsoever uh, if I didn't try to separate the two. And yeah. so, you know, when I go on vacation, I'm, I booked a vacation for myself in January. I was thinking about not even taking a camera because I was trying to figure out how to, to just decrease the, the amount of you know, gear and weight and distraction that I was taking with me. I, I was going to just take my cell phone or look into another, like, mirrorless point-and-shoot or something. Yeah. Um, but now that they just came out with a 24 to 105, um, and I got to test it out last week, it was fast, it was sharp, it was relatively lightweight. That would be a lens I know I could take with me, and that would just be the lens I would take on that trip, so I don't have to worry about carrying a lot of gear. Nice, nice. And do, how much? How much is that lens? Do you know? Um, I believe it's nine hundred. Okay. Yeah. Again, an investment though. You're going to keep that lens for several years. It's not like, oh, I got to buy another one next year this time. You're going to keep that for a while. <laughs> for a while, You'll, it'll be in your bag. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Perfect. Perfect. E two first picks, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Derek Story, what is your pick of the week? I think since we're doing a portrait show, I'll, I'll do a portrait lens. And uh, you know this lens, Frederick. You just introduced Oh, this is the one you, you let me shoot with yesterday, yeah. It is. So I, um, probably my favorite lens in the Micro Four Thirds world is the Olympus 75mm f1.8. And I just have a major crush on that lens uh, because of what I can do with it. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, Micro Four Thirds, you've got a smaller sensor. It's so much harder to drop out the backgrounds uh, and get that, you know, that what I call photographic look. And that lens can do it. It's one of the very few lenses in, in uh, you know, in that format that, that will do it. And uh, it's just gorgeous. And it's, uh, I have two lenses that I think, uh, make me look like a better photographer than I really am. That's one. <laughs> that's one of them, and the other one is my uh, 7200 uh, f2.8, uh, my Canon uh, nice. zoom. Both of those lenses, uh, they make me look better than I really am. So, but, so, I, but we're going to do 75 the, or the 75 this week. That uh, the 75 uh, f1.8, the Olympus, that is in my Amazon wish list. Hint, yeah. If anybody's listening, <laughs> <laughs> you must you know, have some nice Lindsay bought all kinds of stuff for herself. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I I am firm believer. If you reward yourself, you're gonna work hard enough to make sure you earned those rewards. So that's that makes part sense. of the motivation. That makes sense. Yeah. Or else, what's it for? What's it all for? Cool. All right, guys. My my pick of the week is some. You guys have these expensive picks of mine is uh is free. It's a website from a friend of the show. He's a friend of mine as well. His name's Julio Schiorio. He runs a website called Small Camera Big Picture, and it is focused on smaller cameras like the smaller mirrorless Panasonics and you know other cameras that let you do more with less gear. Like, Lindsay, you were talking about going on vacation and not bringing a bunch of stuff with you. I would check out his blog just to see the kind of things that you can not bring with you and still do a really good job. So definitely definitely check that out. It's called Small Camera, Big Picture. All right, yeah, folks. I, Go ahead. I think that's great. No, I, th- I would say I think that's great because that's something that I definitely want to look into. It, it doesn't have anything to do with me right now professionally, but... I still love photography personally, and I want to. I want to take away that hassle um, of yeah. feeling like a lot of gear. So I think that's a great one. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah, and check out Derek's blog as well. He's got the nimblephotographer.com. That is, you know, I'm I'm seeing a trend in these sites that are coming up that that speak to less is more. The whole less is more movement. So yeah, definitely okay. check that out too. 
All right. And, jeez, uh, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. And listeners, at the end of this show, there's an awesome interview that I did with a wonderful photographer. Her name is Krista Miola. She's a boudoir photographer based in New York, probably a stone's throw away from Lindsay Adler. But definitely check that out. And check out the website, the This Week in Photo website, where you'll, you can see the video of the interview that I did with Krista. So good stuff. All right, folks, end of the show. Lindsay Adler, where would you like folks to go to keep up with you and see some of the stuff that you're working on? Definitely. Um, I would check out my blog, which is blog.lindsayadlerphotography.com, and then my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash lindsayadlerphotography. And I have a bunch of exciting stuff I'll be introducing January 1st, so if you want to check back in then, I think it would be great. Oh, let's see the the marketer. Look at that cliffhanger, Derek. Take a note. <laughs> see that? <laughs> awesome. All right, Derek. Story. What about you? Where would you like folks to go to keep up with you? Mine's easy. Uh, the digital photographer. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's the nimble photographer. The nimblephotographer.com or the digitalstory.com. There you go. I think you should register the I digital just, photographer. I just blended them into one. <laughs> I just morphed them. <laughs> They're all the same. I love it. I love it. Cool. All right. But uh, probably, probably if you morph them uh, in the web browser, it probably won't work very well. So no. it, it'll take you to some place. Go to the digital story first. The digital story or the nimble photographer. Cool. All right, guys uh, and listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com or you can join our community over on Google+. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com or, of course, over on Google+. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. Okay, I'm here with the wonderful, talented, and beautiful Krista Miola. She's a, a boudoir photographer that's based in New York, I want to say. New York City, that's correct. New York City. So she's one of those highfalutin, fashionable, cool, hipster photographers. No, she's not. The most down-to-earth photographer you'd ever want to meet, but someone who creates an amazing body of work, which we're going to be talking about, The Art of Boudoir Photography. This is her book right here if you're watching the video. So Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) You're awesome. (laughs) Hey, it's what I do. It's what I do. Come on. (laughs) You make people look cool. Did you hear my New York? That was my New York accent. Did you hear that? Was it? Let me do it again. It's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't work, huh? Work on that one. I'm gonna work on it. I'm gonna work on it. Okay. Well cool. Let's start with you. So um you know, boudoir photography, we're definitely gonna dive into that because you literally wrote the book on it 
And I love that type of photography. Um, I have a tons, tons of questions. I had to kind of distill my questions down so we wouldn't go like five hours on this. Oh, okay. So yeah, let's there's do, a lot to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. So let's start with uh, just an introduction to you and the kind of stuff that you, you know, just your, your history and your path into photography. So how did you, how did you get started in this stuff? Oh, okay, into photography. Well, as long as I can remember, actually, I've had a camera. It was my favorite thing to do when I was a kid. So like six years old, I was already shooting. Um, and it was just my favorite thing to do. So when I was um, eight years old, my teachers in school Long story short, they needed to create a special program for me because I was finishing my work early. They said, what would you like to learn? And I said, photography, you know, and I was eight. Wow. (laughs) So the head of the gifted and talented department happened to be a hobbyist. So they changed a um, janitor's closet, like in the school, a janitor's closet into a dark room and just taught me photography. For one kid. For one kid, Uh, they did that. Well, I luckily I was the one to ask, but there was three kids okay. in the program um, in the school, so I was one of three in the dark room. That is crazy. Anthony Artali and Laura Gurley, shout out! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, so that was very early on in elementary school, and honestly, I just you know pretty self-taught since then. Um, and I got a professional camera for Christmas. Um, my parents saved up and got me one, um, and that was like my one Christmas gift. And so, you know, I've supported myself through school, like during college, work study was, you know, school newspaper photographer. And then I got out and got a real job, which I thought was a real job. Um, and I didn't start a business with photography until 2004. Um, and how that came about was just friends were looking for photographer uh, for photography services for various reasons. One needed an actor's headshot, one needed family photos, and I just and they weren't happy with what they were getting and what was out there. So I was like, oh, I mean, um, give me, I'll borrow a camera and take some pictures for you. Might be better than that. Um, yep. And it just kind of took off since then. So that was 2004, and I just started the business pretty, right away. And, uh, and, and how did you make the transition into boudoir photography? Because that's, that's very niche, and you could have gone model, you could have gone fashion. You're right. a boudoir expert. Why, why that direction? Um, I think... Well, that's kind of what was asked of me. I kind of just go where the energy goes. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had a friend of a friend ask me to take sexy pictures of her. And I had never heard of that really, that that was kind of a thing or a niche. I hadn't heard the term. Um, So, yeah. And I just, from that one photo shoot, I blogged it. And then her friends and then her friend's friends. and um. You know, that was fall of 2009, and I didn't even photograph my first nude until a year later, the summer for my birthday. I went and uh, took a workshop with Kim Weston. You know Edward Weston. Mm -hmm. So he's Edward Weston's grandson, and he still lives at Wildcat. And, uh, you know, it was so historic. It was just so magical. So um, I just kind of fell in love with photographing the female and I've just been a photography lover forever. So, you know, I started teaching very soon after that. I was asked to teach boudoir, um, you know, at PartnerCon, various different, you know, WPPI and other yeah. places. And then Ted called and asked me to write the book. And Peach Pit, so, yeah. 
Yes. So I very much have just been responding to need and demand. I don't know. But but all the while keeping the art is, it seems to be at the center. So looking, by the way, this book is really well made. So congratulations on this. It is a beautifully written, laid out, designed, um, and just content rich book that just sort of goes into, like we were talking about before we started mm-hmm. recording, this book kind of goes through from the beginning all the way up until the business aspect which I'm assuming there may be the business of boudoir photography coming up. <laughs> there may be. There yeah. may be. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Ted and I were very specific about creating a very thorough book. And in order to do that within your page limit, um, we had to say, okay, this is going to be the art of creating photographs of women, not, you know, you can't go into selling marketing, pricing and all that within one book. So yeah, they've been asking, when's the next book? What are you going to do? And I'm just like, Ooh, give me a minute. Which (laughs) It was a really interesting process. So here, here's a question, Krista. So the so positioning wise, and just for people that aren't familiar with boudoir photography, uh, photography in general, it's you know describe what the art form is, just so we have a baseline definition of what boudoir photography is. Okay, well, I just think it's um, photography of women that has, is sensual in nature, and that's mm-hmm. it. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything. It's up to you to define it. And what do you feel it is? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that she's wearing lingerie or not. She can be wearing anything. She could be wearing a snowsuit or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be in any specific location. I feel like a lot of people define it as, you know, lingerie, sexy pictures in a bedroom. And it can be contemplative. It, it could be all different moods and emotions. But the mood of it is sensual. Does okay. that make sense? That makes total sense. So then how do you how do you draw the line and is there a line between boudoir photography and say glamour photography? Because I've seen the words used interchangeably and I don't know if there's a difference between the two or if there's just an overlap. How do you how do you delineate between the two? Again, this is something I mean I don't necessarily know if I'm the person to define the categories. You wrote but... the book. You are the person. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what glamour means. I think that just means beautiful portraiture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably focused more on the face and yeah. boudoir, I'd imagine, encapsulates that and the body. Okay. Um, but these are such it's, it's all It's all foggy. It's all, you know, it's just, it's beautiful women captured tastefully and artistically, right? Right. So, yeah. I think for me, glamour implies a little bit of very like hair and makeup and you know for me boudoir is just come as you are oh really see that that's the that's the line because i that's that's exactly how i describe glamour would be there's a makeup artist and hair and you know Mm -hmm. they're like over the top (laughs) it's almost like a fashion shoot but it's more on the sexy side and boudoir you're saying is more it's more realistic um for me i i feel like it's just I'm more interested in a woman's uh, natural beauty and I, my brand anyway is to try and pull that out. So more and more I am really trying to capture the woman exactly as she is because that's kind of what's important to me. Um, I think, you know, there's a movement here to empower women and to hold up the imperfect regular woman next door as the ideal instead of, you know, a Photoshopped um, fashion model. And, 
part of me has been realizing there's a bit of a conflict then when I send out my images to be edited, you know, to be retouched. So less and less, like my, my pictures are going out more and more naked, so to speak, without any, you know, retouching. But this is a whole juicy topic because you can also argue that makeup in and of itself, is, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. What we do with angles and posing and, you know, lighting and stuff. It's mm-hmm. all smoke and mirrors, so to it speak. Is. So yeah. who's to say, you know? Yeah, we hear, you know, we, we hear that argument on the show a lot about there, there's purist photographers and then photographers. And I put myself on the other side of like, no, <clears throat> no pixel is, is, you know, <laughs> free from my punishing it. You know, I, I even said pixels <laughs> were born to be punished. And then there, oh. <laughs> there are photographers, and then there are photographers that, that say, you know, okay, it you you should crop in the camera, never t- never crop outside the camera. Um, it should be exactly what the camera sees. You know that kind of thing. And you know, n- there's no right answer in my opinion. It's it's no, especially when you're talking art. If you're talking photojournalism, yeah, then you want sure. you want to be true to the scene. But if you're talking art, no pixel is safe from me. <laughs> right. Well, to, I have a, many things to say about that, but yeah. I absolutely right. Whatever is meaningful to you, is it more meaningful you to depict what's honestly in front of you? Or is it more meaningful for you to give a woman like fantasy for the day? So a life where you have no stretch marks and you have no, you know, whatever it yeah. means to you, there is no right or wrong. And there's a photographer for every woman out there. Yeah. So, and but I do want to say punishing pixels. That's a horrible image. Can't you say like lovingly massage each pixel? I mean, I, I envision a mallet, and I'm just—it's like it's like a, a a blacksmith hammering the steel into position. You know. Wow, but even by the way, with uh, photojournalism, what depending on which lens you, lens you use, it very much alters what's actually in front of you. So yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, because yeah, I think that's where I was going earlier. Because with the, you know, the purest photographers, they say, you know, you can't no cropping, no editing. It's got to be true to the shot. But then you're you're making decisions with the, your focal length choices. You know, the cam, even the camera choices, the sensor size choices, where you position yourself and the lighting. If you're using natural lighting, even your position is influencing the scene and your interpretation of the scene. So. Yeah, it's splitting. It's it's not exactly splitting hairs, but it's you know I think it's a losing argument to say that that manipulating or changing an image in any way is wrong. Yeah, you know, but agree. I would agree with you on that completely. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking in your book. So when yeah. are we going to see Krista Miola starting to shoot the male form as well as the female form? Right? <laughs> Why are there no men in here? <laughs> well, that's about the art of um, creating stunning images of women. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. shooting men's a whole other book. Yes. <laughs> and I can't know. I'm only kidding. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole other side of Krista. Is gonna uh, but um, actually, uh, the current post on my blog right now is a couple, which I had never done before. Because mm-hmm. it was very clear on, you know, then that's a whole uh, different thing. My specialty has always been in, you know, focusing on a woman enjoying herself, being comfortable in her body and loving life. And um, when you throw another person in there, it just changes it. So it's also dicey in terms of, you know, the actual practical elements of the photo shoot. Right. 
right. if you know what yeah. I mean. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Guys, yeah it's me. tricky. It, yeah. it can be tricky. It's a, yeah, I think you're dancing around. It could be a fine line between art and something that gets pornographic or exactly. across the line, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you're dealing with nude forms. If you introduce a male and a female into it, then, then yeah, it, it, it becomes a little blurry. Exactly. And, you know, you got to be safe. So I have a male assistant and, you know, other people on set. And mm-hmm. I've said um, yes to certain couples who I can just tell. I have good intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's rules. Like the guy can't take his clothes off. Sure, of course. And stuff like that. And it's really just a suggestion of things. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of contact and it's just really part of the boudoir session so i'll say okay your last look let's do three looks just you know you and then at the very end you know your man can come on set and we can shoot for you know a few minutes with him yeah it's like a bonus though at the end it is like a bonus yes (laughs) that's cool so what's what's your process for putting women at ease to get these amazing shots because when i shoot women there's always the there's a wall initially and that you need to break through to like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to make you look bad. It's just, it's all right. You know? So there's that psychological barrier to get through. What's your process for breaking through that to get these like crazy shots? Even the cover of your book has that (laughs) an amazing shot. How do you do that? What's your process? Well, actually it's actually quite um, intricate, (laughs) but very simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, I believe in the success of the shoot, like 90% of it is what you do beforehand when you're talking with real women, for instance, not necessarily the same with models, but with real women, I think the more you prepare them, the better off you are, the more you can, um, preempt what their fears and doubts are. Mm -hmm. And they all have the same five fears and doubts. And I talk about that in the book and then also let them know what to expect. They very much fear the unknown, um, who's going to be on set, how it's going to go down, what you guys will do. And then just take the pressure off them to say, you know, you just show up and have fun. Making you look good is my job. (laughs) I'm going to worry about that. And trust me, I'm good at what I do and it's all me and we're going to delete anything we don't like. You will never see a picture you don't love. That's That's my job. That is cool. And, Yeah. And then again, you just, I have a lot of talks with them about, you know, where's your comfort level in terms of nudity? Um, Here's some do's and don'ts. Uh, And then I, you know, say, send me some inspiration shots because what I think is beautiful or sexy isn't necessarily what you think is beautiful and sexy. You might think more subtle. Some might think more bold. I like to capture all the different um, varieties of emotions that women go through. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they help plan it. I love a collaboration. I want it to be. They'll value it more highly. They'll remember it. They'll look at a photograph and go, oh, that one was my idea or that was the thing that I picked or whatever. And um, that all lends to them being much more relaxed. And also, trust me, they also benefit from me saying, no, I'm not just going to get yes to everything the client says. When I can tell them why that's not necessarily a good idea or why they should or shouldn't do this beforehand, um, they'll trust me more. And then there's, you know, couple hours of hair and makeup to relax I start getting them comfortable I start you know with me photographing them while they're in the makeup chair we take behind the scenes and maybe a selfie Instagram shot or whatever and we play music and I think the biggest thing is starting without a discernible beginning 
Mm. So I'm just while she's half done, I take her over and do some lighting tests I'm not really doing. And uh, just as she's about finished, I'm like, okay, let me do a makeup test. And okay, can you just move your clothing here? I already have her in the first outfit. And then we've already, you know, and do more of this and turn to the light a little more. You know, so we've already started without her really knowing that we started. That's a great tip. That's that's so you're ramping up. You're ramping up into the shoot instead of just saying, okay. Now we are shooting in there and all the right. nervous. It's like getting ready for a test. You're like, okay, we're right. starting the stopwatch and exactly. we're beginning. Exactly. It's robe off and yeah. lights on and exactly. go. <laughs> you know, yep. it's nerve wracking. And I also find it makes me a little bit more nervous too. So just having that seamless, you know, playing in the makeup chair, photographing doing light tests right nearby, getting her back in the hair and makeup chair, then coming out for makeup tests and just keep going. Yeah. Um, it really helps a lot. Uh, do, really you, do you work with the same hair and makeup person generally, or do you vary them? I have a couple different ones because some people aren't always available. So depending on availability, I always check with my favorite first. And mm-hmm. certain hair and makeup um, girls are better than others at certain looks and stuff. So yeah. it depends on who I'm shooting also and what they want. But I always work with the same assistant. Um, he's awesome. We've been together now for over a year. He cool. is amazing. And what is he um, doing? What does your assistant do for you? Yeah, he um, he sets up all the lighting. He will move furniture. He will <laughs> unpack my bags and repack my bags. Nice. He will hold me so I don't fall off a ladder. Um, watches my back. But while I'm doing something, he's already setting up the next one. So what I've found most of all, he makes me faster. I can now shoot in a third of the time what it would take me because I would be having to stop and then go change the lights, up the wattage, lower it, tweak the, you know, he does all that. Nice. So um, you're, so, so the process I'm hearing is a client contacts you, contacts you, they may find you through word of mouth or through your website or whatever. They contact mm-hmm. you, you agree to shoot them. You do a collaboration between you and the client with them sending you sample images of the things that they like and don't like and, you kind of you kind of get calibrated to their mindset and their their comfortableness with nudity and that kind of thing and then you so at that point in there are you and your assistant and the client saying okay we're going to do three looks one's going to be here in your home and then we're going to do one in this room and then we're going to do one on the beach or that kind of thing do you collaborate on the locations Yes, we do. So when they send me pictures, we actually organize this through Pinterest. We create a pin board for her, cool. an inspiration board. So we can both pin to it. But so, um, And also you see all in one place all of the inspiration images, which so easily you can crazy. see what the creative vision is. You can tell right away this woman likes black and whites. You can tell this woman likes anonymous shots. You don't really see the face. You can tell she either is someone who wants it all glammed up with, you know, heavy makeup and high heels and stuff like that, or she's more soft and natural, just, you know, a tank top jeans, softer sensibility. And yeah, you could see, whoa, this girl likes a lot of ass shots. (laughs) (laughs) Posterior (laughs) shots. Excuse me. Yes. That's so cool. (laughs) But, um, so that, Pinterest, that's, you're the first, I believe you're the probably the first photographer that I've talked to that uses Pinterest in their workflow, especially with a, cl- a client interaction. And it makes, uh, it makes perfect sense, right? Oh, it's so awesome. It's so easy. And that it's a wealth of images on there. So 
it's a great one-stop shop for them to go bang, 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 bang. And I always tell them because they immediately say, well, how much is this? And where do we go? Is it your studio? Is your location? And they say everything is, you know, based on your creative vision that we collaborate on together and the vision of the shoot we, you know, work on together. Uh, so let's not decide about hair or makeup or uh, wardrobe or location just yet. Let's see where your mind goes inspiration wise let's you know play first yeah and yeah. it's always apparent okay this is a studio shoot for sure or this is an on location shoot this is outside or whatever mm-hmm. i'm in new york city and a lot of um most of my clients are from all over the world and they fly into new york city and make it like an anniversary gift with their husband or a big 40th birthday party or whatever um so a lot of it that I've been doing this whole year is like with the backdrop of New York city, but I like to create variety. That's my number one thing for anyone listening regarding sales is variety. Mm -hmm. So I like to do, um, I like to do an outdoor look and I like to do an interior and I like to do a studio. So even if I'm on location, I'll bring studio seamless with me Mm -hmm. or if I'm in the studio, we'll run outside. I mean, I try and do that all. No, do you, do you have your own studio? I rent one here in the city. Okay, okay. Yeah, Midtown. That's cool. That that is see all that's really helpful. So with people flying in, if you're are you doing a lot of the shots in like swanky New York hotel rooms that are, you know, that are just kind of designed for photography or do you do some Uh there are some beautiful hotels here, but it's super pricey and yeah. they've got to spend quite a bit um on that to get I me mean, cuz most hotels here are so tiny. Right. So, oh, so, yeah, so I was funny. just there a couple of weeks ago, and I stayed in complete non sequitur. I stayed in this hotel called, geez, what was it called? I got to think of it. But it was this tiny, tiny hotel. It was amazing, but the rooms were so small that they called them cabins. <laughs> right. Well, it may have been the Jane. Um, no, it wasn't the Jane. I'll think of it in like two minutes. It'll come to me. Right. But regardless, so sometimes that isn't always the best answer, hotel yeah. rooms. But, um, you know, in L.A., they're so big, they're so well lit, and there's so many different – I would have, okay, this one's your um, glam from Hollywood, old Hollywood type, and this is your, you know, beachy type hotel. Mm -hmm. In New York, um, the client has to, you know, have the budget to do that um, because you have to rent kind of like a junior suite to get anything with the room. Um, Yotel was the name of the hotel. Yotel. Oh, Yotel. Yes. Have you heard of that one? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. Rooms are awesome, but they're like you're in you're an egg in an egg carton, basically. You're in a pod. You're in a pod. <laughs> you're in a pod. You have to leave if you want to change your mind, you have to leave the room to change your mind, you go back in. It's that That's right. That's right. So, New York City has been an adjustment, and I much prefer shooting um uh, you know, in m- my studio because of it's huge. It's got a lot of natural light and I love it, but I have to say I like being challenged all the time and I want it to be different. So it's like, I'll go to Yotel. Sure. Let me make it work. I want to see how I can do. Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily want to do that with a client who's from out of town. Right. Yeah. It's an experiment at that point and they've got a finite amount of time. Right. For sure. For sure. So what about, so you mentioned budget. So what, what are we looking at for one of these kind of sessions? I'm sure it ranges, but generally speaking, somebody flies in if they're flying in to see you, clearly they have budget, you know, <laughs> to, to get it. They're not just going, you know, to a photographer around the corner. They're flying to a different city to see you. What are we looking at price-wise? In 
um, for boudoir, it's thirty three hundred to about five thousand, depending on what you want. If you want an album, if you want a CD of the entire session and stuff like that. And in okay. next year for two thousand fourteen, I am gonna charge differently based on number of looks and number of locations and stuff because as i said this year was a bit of a learning year for me because i had the assistant and i was like wow look i can do so much more yeah. so it takes much less of my time so we're going to price a little differently for next year that's but really it'll cool. be about the same average that's really cool that's really cool cool so then let's let's switch gears i don't want to take up too much more of your time but i want to i want to chat a little bit about um gear and those choices, because we've been talking a lot about gear on on this week in photo. Specifically, there's been this this you know, resurgence or insurgence or popularization of mirrorless cameras and all that sort of thing. I was reading through your book, and I know that you shoot with a DSLR, of course. So, <laughs> tell me about your the DSLR that you shoot with, the lens choices, the lighting. Like, do you have a standard kit that you take to every? shoot or do you do you and your assistant sit there and, and look and say okay here's the shoot that we're doing let's go to the gear locker and pick what we need for that particular shoot how does that work yeah um i always bring the same kit with me lighting and my camera bag mm -hmm. so it's always the same i like <clears throat> mastering one thing doing it well and also just with one light there's so many things you can do so i try and keep it to that yeah. um in terms oh, one of one light so you shoot with one light Mostly, yeah. Sometimes I, I had a back. I had a backlight. If if one of the things they love about themselves is their hair and that it's big, like I'll backlight the hair. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. come on, I got it. Yeah, of course. Of course. But uh, in terms of lenses, I really just work with the fifty and the eighty-five one point two. Um, I like the fifty because it's the most faithful. It is what you're seeing, mm -hmm. and I just I love the fifty. So I kind of spend most of my time with that on my camera. Okay. And you're shooting with this 5D or 7D? Or oh, sorry. I'm shooting with a Canon 5D Mark okay. Three. Got it. Got it. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I spend most of the time with the 50. And I don't find myself often wishing I had something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't feel like very many times am I wishing I had another lens. Um, occasionally, I'll need to put on the 2470 because I need more room. I, I don't have enough room to get everything I want in frame. But mm -hmm. if also I'm in a huge rush and I need to create a ton of variety fast, if there was only one lens that I could bring to a shoot, it would be the 2470. Sure. It's going to create the most variety. I can go in a lot of different places with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then sometimes the 85 because it's just a beautiful close-up lens. I do that for my close-ups. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. And that, and but the one light that you use, what's the, what is that? Is it, is it a mono light or who makes it? It's Ellen Chrome. Okay. Got the it. B the B X R I okay. yeah um, and I use an Octobox uh, the big one um, fifty three if I can fit it or you know bigger's better right yeah right yeah For, um, and then or a medium softbox um, you know. And, and, well, and just for for technically for the folks who are saying why does she use a big softbox? So from a technical standpoint, what does a big light give you, Krista? <laughs> Uh, well, a couple of things. One is it'll light, you know, the whole body and the background. If I just, you know, want universally flattering light um, from the front, that's pretty much a safe choice. Mm -hmm. The Octobox also is for, I like it because of round catch lights. Yeah. Um, 
So that's one reason why I like the bigger box. Um, if I was to go down, it was because maybe I don't want the spill onto the background. So if I'm doing some side lighting or if I'm just doing up here or I want to get a nice focused light, I'll, I'll use that one. Okay. And then, then, so we've got the shots. We planned it. We talked through planning the shoot. We've got that. We've done the shoot. Now the shoot is done. You're doing mm-hmm. post-processing. You kind of alluded to earlier that you send your, your shots out for retouching. How does that, that whole piece work? Yeah, sure. Well, if we take a step back and we talk about editing, meaning doing my selects, I yeah. go fast and I use my gut and I go in reverse order. Um, that was one tip I gave in the book that, you know, I would find when I was editing, I'd click, yeah, that one's good. Oh, that one's nice too. Okay, that one's good too. And I kept selecting everything. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, as you're coaching a woman, you are obviously coaching her to do things better. Okay, turn here and then hand that way and then this. And then you move on once you nail it. So mm-hmm. I find when I go backward, I'm like the best ones right off the bat, right? Because you move on Brilliant. after you nail it. So when I work backwards... Uh, so much faster. So, and I just use my gut and I like to select the ones I edit for emotion, I say, instead of technical perfection, because I'm shooting for real women, not shooting stock photography. And I don't necessarily like, oh, maybe like she fell out of frame a little bit, but ah, oh, the laughter here is so amazing. She looks great. And yeah, it cut off the tip, but like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or the lighting's better here, but this one, you know. Uh, showcases her better, whatever. So I edit for emotion, the ones that hit me at the gut, the one I feel something for. And then I call it down to 35 images. I don't, no one needs to look at a hundred plus and I'm trying to manage her job, which is going to be deciding. And so I make sure they're very different. I include close-ups and full body shots, masters, details, actions, shutter drag shots, stills, um, you know, laughter, serious, all the body parts that she said she loves about her. So in the interview before the um, session, I tell, I ask her, what do you love about your body? What mm-hmm. excites you about doing this shoot? What do you hope to get out of it? Um, what are you hoping it does for you? Like all of that is insight into how to photograph her and what your shot list will be and what you'll wind up showing her. Um, it's kind of a cheeky answer, but when people ask me, how do you flatter a plus size girl or a mature girl? It doesn't matter. It's, what do you love about your body? It's the easiest way to flatter anyone. I'm going to focus on what you tell me that you love and the rest I'm not going to worry about. So when I'm editing down, I'm not necessarily, I was teaching in Spain this week and I kind of, we focused on this part. I'm not necessarily selecting my 35 best images because my best images are probably, you know, from one set that I really loved, Mm -hmm. but I need to create a complete, totally different from each other set. So I'm looking for variety. I want to hit all the different emotions. I want to have, you know, like I said, all those different shots I was just mentioning. So editing becomes a lot easier when you turn off the part of your brain that's thinking, I'm just got to pick my best. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you, you, once you get that 35, you're, you're happy with that one set. Where do those go? So do they, do you put them in a gallery? And if so, where, where do they, where are they hosted? I do. Um, I just do Lightroom adjustments. If my white balance was off for some reason, maybe I'll tweak that. Or very little do I do in Lightroom. But um, I've been working with presets a little lately, just to contrast grain or whatever. Sure. Um, 
but uh, yeah, then the client will see it. I always do in person sales, so I always walk her through a slideshow of. The uh, okay, so you're not you're yeah. not doing you're not doing okay. You pick the thirty five and you upload them to Smug Muggers and Folio or Pictage or something. No. How, do, no. how does the how does that piece work? You, they just yeah. come to your studio and you project them, or I don't. I never did project boudoir. I just feel like you don't really want to see your bum the size of a billboard. Sure. That's what I always say. So like, I, I don't project. I'm also not trying to sell wall art. So another reason why I don't do projection right now it's just on my laptop, and I'll meet them, you know, for brunch or for cocktails or whatever. We take a very private booth at this restaurant i love it's literally like this enclave it's so cool and it's part of my brand to be it's luxury we you know have a drink or whatever and we kind of giggle over the photographs um so that's what i like to do and i show them in a slideshow and and you're in lightroom stepping through them just going through and like and then an eye photo it's super simple and easy and because i shoot a lot of -of out-of-towners if they're leaving like in 48 hours and i'm not able to schedule wise get them done um, normally they'll come in on Thursday. I'll shoot them on Friday, show them their pictures on Sunday. But for some reason that's not going to work. I'll do a Skype like this, mm-hmm. um, but just share my screen. So we'll do the session that way. And it's the exact same. Um, and I don't talk a lot. The sales session goes like this. It's super, I keep pricing no brainer. There's no decisions to make except mm-hmm. yes, I want them all. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So have they decided before you sh- before you start the shoot? Much like wedding photography, wedding photographers will have already sold, pre-sold a particular package, and at the end, the deliverable is X, Y, and Z. You know, two albums, this, this, this kind of thing. So then mm-hmm. you're shooting for that. Are you doing the same thing, or are you shooting kind of on spec where they kind of know what the price range is, and then when you sit down in that booth, then they say, "Yeah, I want this many photos." Therefore, it goes into this level package. How does that well, work? Right- Right now, I, my um, session includes an album, so their decision really is only do I want to purchase the CD or not okay. at that time. And then after we design the album, then they we don't try and bombard them with decisions. There's only one decision at every step we make. So at that, it's just do you want the CD mm-hmm. of all the images? Keep it and then next. Yeah, exactly. One decision at a time. And then next is, okay, here's the album. Do you have any changes and all that? And then it's, do you want to upgrade your size album? Comes with a five by five. Do you want the eight by eight or the 10 by 10? That's the next decision. And then, okay, what do you want on the cover? So we never overwhelm them with how many pages, what color, silk, or do you want leather? Do you want a cover photo? What do you want texted into it? And did you want the CD? And should I ever touch these for you? And just like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's all in there. It's all inclusive. So they don't have to make any... They're not they're not overthinking the process with with overwhelming decisions. So the, with the with the album. So then you do do you have like a you know this is the 2013 or 2014 version of Krista's cover. These these are the this is the we're using leather for 2013 and then 2014 we're going to linen. You know or do, you, or do how does that piece work? Yeah, no, I've always kept been leather craftsman and I like to keep it classic and I, cool. you know, I like to keep it simple and I, I really like timeless. That's also a part of my brand. So yeah. I don't offer any trendy products, the latest this, that and the other. And I don't offer, you know, fur covers or studded this, that or the other. It's and just no wall very- prints, no wall metal, none of that stuff. 
Uh, you know what? Um, if they do want an enlargement, then they can. I say we can do this on whatever suits your home and whatever your sensibility is. I don't do canvas because I just that I'm like don't like canvas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love it. I don't love it. I'll tell you the honest yeah. truth. And what I teach is it shouldn't be on your price list. Price list if you don't believe in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, by cool. the way, I did want to mention though one thing about a la carte pricing. When I was that, and it wasn't all inclusive, you still only want to give them one decision at a time. Then their decision could be like after they see their images. Okay, do you want to stick with the a la carte pricing because you like this, this, and this? That actually is more affordable and it's a better value if you went with the package. So, okay. And then, yes, I'll take a package. That's the first question, a la carte or packaging. And then the package, which one do you want? Small, medium, large. Yeah. And then that's it. You don't bother them with decisions for a while. I love it. It's almost like, you're, yeah, it's just like one decision leads to the next, the next, the next, instead of having a list of decisions that they have to make and get overwhelmed, right? Right. And it's not that you're trying to surprise them with pricing and not give that all up front. You will, but you can just say, you know, my clients spend between 3500 to 5000 or if you want a CD that starts at XYZ, keep it in broad strokes, print, start at $1.50 a square inch, give them the information but, you know, you don't need to overwhelm with the five-page pricing catalog that includes everything under the sun. Yeah, and that's, that's – you know, that's really interesting, uh, the, psych, the, the psychology aspect of – and marketing aspect of that because it seems like when you, when you go down in value or lower-level services, they overwhelm you with information and choices. And the higher tier you go to, you know, these – like – like really specific and high level photographers like yourself, the decisions get fewer and fewer and fewer. And the photographer makes it simple and painless for you to, to spend money. Right. Right. I also think it's a natural evolution of knowing who you are, knowing what your brand is, knowing who your client is and taking that responsibility more and more. And it's not like, well, whatever they like, they might like this. They might like that. Instead, I think the photographer takes a little more ownership of it. Like, no, they're buying me for my aesthetic and my preference and my choices. They want to see what I, you know, what I believe in and what I offer. That's brilliant. See, that's brilliant because a lot of photographers, I think, uh, think that they're selling their art on that two-dimensional, you know, it's it's the print, you know, it's I'm you're tra- you're buying me and my artistic interpretation of you and the image and all that, but it stops there. And it sounds like what you're saying is it doesn't stop there. Your brand extends all the way through to that final product and your decision-making process around le- leather craftsmen, you know, even the presentation of the at the restaurant where you're meeting at, it's all part of the Cristamiola brand. And, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, brand, I mean, I mean, we can go all day about branding. Me I'm too. I love it. <laughs> geek about branding. I love it. Right here. But, uh, yeah, it's the client's experience. And that starts the moment they hear your name or see your website. And that doesn't end ever. You know, anytime they look at that thing you created together, that's their experience. Every time they think about, you know, the memory and how they feel when they look at that stuff or think about it, that's really what the experience is, the emotion that it evokes in them. So at every step, we try our best to have them feeling positive. That's why we always want to be a step ahead. We want to prevent those 
fears and doubts. And that's why I always say call. The most important call you make to your client is the one after the photo shoot. Like immediately after that night, you shot her that day, call her that night because she's sitting there worrying, doubting herself. It's as if she went on a date, got naked. And I was like, oh, what did I do? And now she's looking at the photographs at home, my bum on her computer. So we try and you know, manage her uh, experience yeah, every her fears, time. The FUD, right? Manage the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? That's, that's exactly right. So, yeah, 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 but that extends far. Mm-hmm. So then what about, um, so that, so we got all the way through it, um, deliverable. So you, you've got the album, it's done, they've picked them, they're ecstatic. How do you get them the actual album? Do, does your brand extend there where you're actually going to hand deliver it to them or... And if possible, you know, because like you said, they're flying in. A lot of them are flying in. So they're just shipped. And how does that piece work? I barely shoot anyone in town. I got to be honest. (laughs) Um, We leather craftsman um, brands the box and the album with our logo. So it's fully branded and customized and it's drop shipped to them. Um, And usually we're on a time schedule because it's usually a gift or you know mm-hmm. we've got you know a timeline on it so it's interesting I've, I've heard some some you know not that this is wedding photography but i've heard some wedding photographers when they're talking about the time between when the wedding is over and the when they deliver the actual proofs in the final album particularly the final album time that they artificially pad the time in there to increase the perceived value so even if the album is going to be created in a week which generally it takes right even if it takes a week, they'll say, yeah, it's going to be about three months, two to three months, you know, because it takes time for this stuff to get created. Increasing <laughs> the, it. yeah, increasing the, the uh, like, oh, wow, they're really spending time on this thing idea. Honestly, yeah, you cannot neglect perceived value. I mean, it's definitely built into my session. I know how long I need. I don't, I don't, I can do a session so fast now, but you know, they're flying all the way out here. I don't want the experience to last 45 minutes. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, so we definitely do that. But I hadn't thought about uh, the time it takes to do the album. So, yeah, that's a good one. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Yeah. I love I pad it. that in there a little bit. And they're like, oh, wow, this is this is their leather craftsmen. Of course, <laughs> they're crafting this. Yeah. Yeah. So then so let's wrap this up. So what's what's next for Krista Miola? You know, what's what's the next big project you're working on? Oh my goodness, so many exciting things. I'm excited for 2014. Like I said, I think 2013 was a year of major growth and transition for me. So um, my team and I are kind of having a year end. Uh, We have it twice a year, um, brainstorm kind of. I do this, I used to do this for myself. It's a Tony Robbins exercise. What did we love? How do we cultivate more of what we loved? What did we not like? And how can we eliminate that from our process? And everything yeah. so i'm sure another book is going to be out there i'm sure um I'm a whole new rebrand and new website um we've got new team members on board and so we're really growing um i think my assistant is now going to be an associate shooter i mean he's really good and uh he's been on set with me all year yeah so like an apprentice kind of right yeah, so we're going to add associates to the team because we get so many inquiries, um, I guess because of the book or, you know, my yeah. blog has been out there for a while now. Um, and we're just, I'm, I just can't do everybody and I'm not in everyone's budget level. And there's some people I really feel could benefit from 
you know, our team sensibility and our experience. So we we're yeah, we're adding on associates and stuff. Yeah. So that's the name of the great game in 2014 is growth. It sounds like, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So what's a, what's the URL that you would like listeners to go check out your work at and get the book and all that stuff? Sure. Krista Miola.com. C H R I S T A M E O L A. So that's it. I mean, you can find it all on there. You can get on the mailing list by downloading the um, Pro Photographer Manifesto, which is, you know, 15 Habits of Successful Pros. Because I have pros that are very good friends of mine that are successful and have longevity. Um, you know, I'm not even the oldest one. I've been around since 2004. But, uh, you know, and then I teach thousands of students. I've taught thousands of students. So I can see what separates them so clearly, the struggle, the ones that struggle and the ones that are successes. So um, that will get you on my mailing list and you can get more information about workshops on the website. And uh, we do an online workshop, which kind of takes the book, The Art of Boudoir, and it takes it to the next level. It's all that business stuff. Um, selling, pricing, marketing, branding, soft lighting. You get to see behind the scenes videos and it's six weeks with me ongoing. And uh, we just are finishing up. In fact, I have a call starting now. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's also info available on my website. Awesome. And friend me up, man. I love geeking out like on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And Pinterest. Don't forget Pinterest. Pinterest, most importantly. Yes. So I'm on there. Krista, thank you for taking the time today. This has been one of the most educational interviews that I've done to date. So you are you are amazing. And congratulations on the book, The Art of Boudoir Photography, available wherever you buy books at, right? <laughs> yes, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It's, it's out there. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Okay. You have a good day, and I will ta- I'll be in touch. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye.